You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Carissa. Today we are busting some myths. You got your gangster on. <laughs> we put a call out to you guys through Instagram and asked you, what do you want us to talk about or answer, I should say, as far as common questions that you feel like, is this a myth? Is this like crap? You know, tell us, tell us whether we need to worry about this, be concerned, make any changes, or is this just a whole lot of BS? So, um, Jesus, you guys flooded the inbox with this. (laughs) (laughs) And I think what's come out of it is that we will do these semi-regular because there's no way we can answer all of your questions today. But we've compiled some of the most popular ones into some categories yeah as a starting point that's probably a good way good way to put it so whether or not we're actually going to be myth busting or just answering a collective of questions in one answer (laughs) exactly so we're going to cover today probably the most topical uh area was dairy so there's a lot of questions about dairy uh we are going to talk about iron in regard to um, symptoms, classic anemia, and also um, absorption and a few things that we're going to kind of bundle in together. And then if we have time today, we're also going to cover uh, some of your questions that were, yeah, again, there's quite a few of them about um, thyroid, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's and, and uh, foods, foods in this area that may be needed to be avoided or should you eat more or blah, 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 <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> and again, disclaimer, it's Friday. Jess and I have fried our brains during the week and this is the best you get of us. So, <laughs> And we did just have an epic issue getting this podcast started thanks to all the tech issues. So yeah. Yeah, we're like uh, trying <laughs> to be as like upbeat and happy as we can when we would actually like to smash the computer and the microphones. <laughs> Jess, full like credit to Jess because she is definitely on the receiving end of it all and she's much more patient than me because if I was dealing with as much of the technology side of it as she was, the computers would be smashed and the microphones <laughs> would be smashed <laughs> and there would be no podcast getting recorded today. No. Man, I, you and I, both of our coping mechanisms are anger, <laughs> so it's not really the the best scenario at times, although you're way better with certain things than me. You're good with, like, I can't stand things that are, like, Yeah, fiddly. I'm good with, like, fiddly things, yeah. like, like, classic is Jess will always give me her necklace if it's tangled, like, the necklace chain, and I'm happy to sit there and unpick that, and that doesn't frustrate me, but you give me a phone that freezes or a computer or internet that's slow, and I'm literally get the launch codes to death, con four. Like. <laughs> see, even when you just said that about a necklace being tangled, it instantly makes me angry to see red, like, I want to smash something. <laughs> it was so funny, because I was chatting with Lani this morning, because I didn't realise, so her, Lani 
um, who works with us, but everyone listening, her little daughter Georgie, who's absolutely bloody gorgeous, is got this beautiful like red hair on top of her head, like not heaps, but it's there. And I hadn't really seen it until she popped some photos off on Instagram. I said to Lani, I'm like, where does Georgie get her red hair from? Because I just love rangers, like probably because I'm biased because I am one. <laughs> but I just love it when I see little girls or little boys with just that beautiful orange or auburn colored hair. I'm like, yes, the gene is still strong. <laughs> like breed away red-headed people. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I think obviously from her dad's side, because her husband's Irish and I was saying, well, my grandma's Irish and she had auburn hair and I've got her hair. But it's so funny because Mick, whose dad is also Irish and was a red hair, like when he's young, he's obviously gray hair now. He's just like, Mick, it's just so foreign to Mick to have these anger bursts and be around someone that does. <laughs> and obviously he's with me and he's just like, you are an absolute psychopath. Like you go from zero to a hundred in a split second. <laughs> it's just like, it's that ranger gene. <laughs> Do you think it is? Do you think it's such a cliche, isn't it? Like yeah. the fiery redhead. Fiery redhead. I definitely think I haven't met a redhead who's not fiery, but I've met a lot of like like classic, like you're not a you're not a redhead and you can be fiery, so <laughs> <laughs> dormant in me somewhere. You've got a dormant, dormant recessive ranger jeans <laughs> just <laughs> kicking about. <laughs> but like Mickles literally say, like he's like put ranger back in the box, babe. Like <laughs> Like we're driving somewhere and something pisses me off. And I'm just like, what the fuck was that? It's just like, oh, my God, here we go. And it's funny because Lani was saying, Georgie, she's like, oh, she's got a little temper on. I'm like, it's the ranger gene. Better out than in. Yeah, absolutely. um, We're healthy. We're emotionally stable because we get it all out. (laughs) I saw that um, Shan, um, as in um, not Shan Cooper, Shan Stokes, Natchpath, posted something on Instagram the other day, which was like this little iceberg, and it was all about anger and dealing with it. was a really good post, but it had like the tip of the iceberg of where oh. your anger is and then everything underneath and all the emotions that are yeah, related to me. anger. And I was <laughs> like, my iceberg looks so different to that. Like, it's maybe like a volcano <laughs> that I erupts think... and lets all of those emotions out, and then yeah. we're done. There's nothing That's sort of suppressed. Me. Yeah, there's not much suppressed stuff. I don't hold on to things. I don't hold grudges, which I think is not a bad way to be because quite often people even say to me, they're like, how do you just like kind of forgive and forget or just get over it? I'm like, once I've dealt with it and I'm at peace with it, it's done, it's gone, it's, it's out yeah. of my out of my out of my brain space like I don't I don't really hold on to a lot of things because I just I just don't a I don't think it's healthy but b I just don't I don't have the bandwidth for it like I like to move forward so I think I'm more of a volcano as well (laughs) I know I've spoken to clients in the past about literally going for a drive in your car somewhere um whether it was in Brisbane I remember talking about going up to Mount Cuther or just somewhere and just just pull over and scream in your car with the windows up with the windows up (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just those, yeah, you can just know that they've just got so much pent up anger and frustration and they're just holding on to it. And mm. I'm like, just go somewhere and let it out. And I, yeah, it was really hard with that sort of personality to get them to do it. I do mm. know once, one, just one person did it once. I'm like, oh my God, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or even just into a pillow, like, yeah. just like put your, like, face down into a pillow it sounds really sadistic but you know just like in the sense of like <laughs> don't suffocate yourself but just scream into the pillow yeah. like lock yourself into a room and if you have no other outlet like you can't go and go to a boxing class or 
yeah. yeah there's just so much in that vocal vocal expression as well i find too like yeah. it's interesting not that i'm i understand heaps of the chakra stuff but i know when i've gone through different emotional things in my life and i've worked with people that probably work more on like that sort of chakra spiritual kind of energy sort of level and the big one when you've got a lot of pent-up stuff they say is that throat chakra when you're just not speaking your mind you're not vocalizing you're not getting all of that stuff out and it's blocked and that's even what they say they're like just you need to scream go and stand in a forest and scream and speak your mind and have conversations and talk it out even if it's with yourself and yeah Yeah. so it's very very interesting yeah exactly Let alone, we will get into it in a minute, guys, but let alone just like (laughs) females in general feeling like they have to repress Mm. that side of their emotions, like just this, you know, concept of just being placid and kind. And I mean, I feel like that's obviously shifted a lot, but there's still an element of that, of just, you know, just being a little bit uncouth if if a woman gets angry and expresses herself as opposed to like, a male like in yeah a whole different and it's so interesting like if women express themselves there's quite often um and not always from from the male party but just i would just say generalizing there seems to be like if you do have those women that are quite like and probably looking more historically than so much right now where we're at but women who have expressed themselves and have been vocal and have spoken out against the crowd or been seen to be different are deemed with that kind of gaslighting of crazy or something oh, man, like that hysterical hysterical and it's yep. just like well are they or are they <laughs> probably yep. not they've just got something that needs to come out so that's how damien knows to press my buttons oh. if i'm like am frustrated and angry he'll be like stop being hysterical oh. <laughs> just then, I'll, then then i just go nuclear because he knows nuclear. that that's just push my button yeah mine is and i said to me i'm like don't fucking say that because it's the same thing what is it he's like he's like oh calm oh relax just relax relax. but he says it in like i don't know if everyone listening knows who trent from punchbowl is but like there was a uh, (laughs) i'll send it to you i think it was this trent from punchy was the thing that was going around when i was in high school and anyway he had like this it was a guy from punchbowl in tassie i'm not actually sure of the story behind him i don't know if he i don't know anyway Anyone who's watched it will understand, but it's just his voice. And Mick says it in Trent from Punchy's voice. And it's like, just relax or something like that. And I'm just, it just pushes me from, I'm, I could quietly just, you know, get over this with a little bit of a vocal explosion to, I am so ready to kill you right now. <laughs> like, just relax. Don't really know you relax. <laughs> FYI, guys, like if you uh, are listening and relating hardcore, we'd love you to share this episode and then just put a little like something up about what your thing is. That What's your death you con button? <laughs> exactly. Love to hear. It's always pretty interesting. Just relax. What if yours is don't be hysterical? Uh, anyway let's get into the episode right so dairy 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 there was questions about is dairy inflammatory um is dairy bad for you um an interesting one about dairy in relation to um iron and absorption of iron um just lots of questions about realistically whether dairy is good or bad and uh, i think the the first thing here which if you've listened to the show for a long time you'll know that it's would be very rare for us to classify something as good or bad yeah um and a lot of these answers will probably be slightly frustrating because as always it's about individuality so (laughs) 
dairy as a collective is not bad. Um, it really comes down to whether you as an individual have the capacity to absorb that protein in that dairy or which is casein or um, if you have a problem with the lactose enzyme and you can't deal with the lactose sorry lactase enzyme and you can't deal with the lactose in the milk that's where most of the time people run into problems but the thing is that when it comes to gut issues um, and this is what we see and probably why sometimes it can seem like it's just you guys pull everyone off dairy is that most people with gut issues tend to have problematic um, sort of food reactivities to the most common reactive foods and that does tend to be dairy because of that protein that is in the milk particularly the cow's milk which is quite large as a molecule and and quite hard to absorb Um, so it the thing is if you were dealing with gut issues it tends to be a common one that can be associated but if you don't have issues with casein in milk and you're fine with lactose then it doesn't mean that you have to cut out dairy it's just not this definitive line for everyone Mm. um what do you yeah yeah, like yeah i think that says it pretty well i think i think there's so many like the other the other side and we don't probably don't need to go into this part today but i think there'll be a lot of people that will argue on the ethical side of dairy and from Mm -hmm. a kind of like animal consumption point of view side of dairy when we're talking about farming and agriculture and that. So I don't think any of our questions were directly related to that. And that's obviously a whole other issue that we could talk about whether or not you remove dairy and or meat and all of those things. Like there's a whole ethical argument against whether or not dairy is good for you. And then there's the whole like, um, like, what do you call it? Like, evolve not evolve issue or evolve argument but like just i have had a lot of people say to me well if you look at other mammals across the board they only consume you know dairy or milk of some sort of form Mm -hmm. in their growth formative years and that's obviously because milk does contain igf interleukin growth backup one is that right igf yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) i was trying to think of what it is it's like it's friday so you know and then obviously once we've reached our our you know adult form do we actually need high levels of this but it's actually looking at dairy beyond that as well so yes obviously when you're drinking breast milk as an infant or if you know you're a, another a mammal or something like that and you're drinking milk for an actual growth purpose then milk or you know interleukin growth factor in that way does serve a purpose but then we're looking at dairy beyond that as well as uh-huh. a form of protein and depending on what your dietary choosings are yeah. <laughs> it's probably the right way to say it if you don't have an issue with dairy and you don't have an ethical issue with dairy, um, and so let's just say you don't have an actual digestive issue with dairy, you don't have an, an or systemic issue with dairy and you don't have an ethical issue with dairy, then dairy is not a bad food for you. Dairy as a whole food is actually a complete protein. It's a, you know, in its more um, unadulterated form is probably the best way to say it. So is, um, you know, it does have um, high levels of calcium and it does have magnesium in there and does have vitamin D as well. Yeah, I think from memory, <laughs> I should have probably looked at all this before I started saying it, but it does it does have some good shit in there. Um, so if you're like, just say for example, a vegetarian and you're not eating meat um, and, you know, you're looking for your, you know, your, main protein sources apart from getting protein from obviously your plant foods and you don't have an issue with dairy and 
dairy is actually quite a good a good uh, calcium calcium um you know source for you so and it is a whole food um in its most unadulterated form so yeah so i think there's so many ways that you can look at dairy and the other thing obviously just kind of touched on before as well as like, yes, it would seem like anyone that came and saw us as a client, we pull everyone off dairy. And that's not necessarily the case, but I would say we do pull a large portion of our clients off dairy. But with the intent that once the digestive issues are resolved, all the hormonal issues are resolved. And obviously when I say hormonal issues, there is a massive anecdotal um, area where dairy is problematic for a lot of women with their hormones and I definitely do see a direct correlation in clinical practice I haven't seen a lot of research for this because I get asked this a lot they're like where's the research for pulling people off dairy with PCOS and I'm like I haven't I've heard a bit about that in regard to that IGF-1 yeah but I, I couldn't off the top of my head Same. tell Me you neither. why mechanism of action actions I feel like it's something to do with androgens yeah the way and it, being inflammatory it, like in that yeah, indi- that yeah. insulin and andro- androgens there's something going on there but then it again then that could affect some people adversely but the next correct. person it's not going to have any major effect correct and this is and this is what i say to a lot of my clients i'm like when when someone's coming to me and they are so inflamed so let's just say they've got issues they've got cystic acne they've got pcos am i going to pull you off dairy absolutely straight away yeah. um am i going to keep you off dairy long term that really depends it depends yeah. on how how quickly we calm your system down it depends on how quickly you respond to the type of treatment that we're doing it depends on what we uncover along the way it depends on how quickly we get your gut health back on track Mm -hmm. but am i going to trial you on dairy again once we've got a lot of your system um, symptoms resolved and your inflammation calmed down fucking oath i am because if you have no issues with dairy i want you to be able to enjoy it as a food so yeah yeah Yeah. so well put and we'll do that with everything as well like Mm. you know wherever we start from and what we take out our intentions to always reintroduce it and to see whether it is a suitable food for you yeah Um, i think the only other thing i would point out is that there's when we say dairy there's cow dairy and then there's goat and there's sheep dairy and camel we've talked about in other podcasts about the camel so (laughs) there are other sources of dairy and when i know with the reintroduction for clients i always go to goat and sheep first because of the structural of that protein again it's Mm. like very small it's been compared to being similar to breast milk so it's often quite tolerated um and i'll find that i can get a lot of clients back onto that and they might be fine with that whole area but they're not so great with the cow version so again it's all about getting you to feel really well and then looking at what is the best source for you um so yeah it it definitely is about individuality um i think it's really dangerous to say that dairy across the board is bad because Mm. dairy is great for some people and really suitable and a great source of nutrients and then for others it just doesn't suit Mm. but is it something that is correlated more so with being a reactant and causing gut issues and then other systemic issues Yes, it is more commonly associated, but that shouldn't be blanketed to everyone. Yeah. And I think and I think too, like it it comes in because it is in your top five allergens, like yeah. as well. So like it's not just yeah, like when we're looking at, at allergenic foods and we're talking about potential triggers, we're not just pulling dairy for the sake of it because we feel like it is. It's because it is in the top five allergens, which is obviously you've mm. got your wheat and then you're obviously gluten containing other gluten containing grains dairy soy 
and eggs are your top five. So, so when we're starting to look at people that come to us with, you know, a very systemic inflammation and whatever the drivers are, we're going to be looking at those when we're going to touch on soy today, obviously as well, but we, we look at those potential top five triggers straight away of, okay, which ones do we think are not working for you based on what you've told us and what we know. And I do think like, Jess and I love our research and we love our literature, but there's some things like just with the dairy and PCOS correlation, for example, I wish I had 10 research papers sitting on my desk right now to back that up. I honestly do. (laughs) They they might be out there. And if they are, can someone please send them to me? Um, But sometimes it's anecdotal as well. Like I can see it, you know, and that's what I say to some of my clients. I would love to have literature for everything I did. (laughs) Sometimes it's just the A, we are so busy with clinical practice. We don't have time to deep dive into a lot of it. But sometimes it might just be that it simply isn't there at the moment or there isn't that direct correlation. And Um, what I think I do see, and it's just that classic thing where you get someone, let's just talk about cystic acne because it's so simple to just kind of, it's an easy visual and I get someone's gut really great and they're PCOS and they've got complete reduction of cysts on ultrasound. So they're pretty much what we would say, not considered PCOS-y anymore, but they still obviously have the genetic predisposition under the right environmental triggers, X, Y, and Z to kind of, you know, be more androgenic and have cysts on their ovaries and skin. And then someone brings just natural yogurt back in. And they think they're going okay with it. Nothing really else changes. And I do always consider environmental factors like stress and exercise and other gut triggers. But that one thing like might be dairy comes back in and that triggers some acne for them. So Mm. can we just ignore that? Even if we don't have it? (laughs) Not really. So that's kind of do. So in that little space, that more anecdotal space, we do see it being inflammatory. But like Jess was saying, it's just, and I think I'm just going into that because I do get asked that a lot because I work with PCOS. And for some people, though, they bring natural yogurt back in or they bring back in small amounts of hard cheeses and dairy and they're happy just to have it into moderation. They're not going back to drinking a litre of milk a day or half a litre of milk in their smoothies and they're completely fine. So just yeah. it's always putting into the context of you as an individual. Yeah, absolutely. There was another um, question lastly in this area about dairy-free milks. Like if you're not having dairy, like what dairy-free milks should you have? Because there's so many. Um, there's actually a blog post on the website that I can link to that <coughs> about some brands, but in, in, the kind of fun thing about this blog post is that we were taste testing with people because it, it does really still come down to, of course, like what you like. Like I know for me with dairy-free milks, it depends on whether I'm having it in a tea or I'm baking or I'm making a milky drink, like you're going to get different things from different milks, whether it's a little bit sweeter or watery versus really creamy. Mm. Um, it, it honestly comes down to what you enjoy and then ideally finding a brand um, that you do like that isn't filled with heaps of sugar Shit. and, <laughs> you know, has a, has an ingredients list, 10, <coughs> 10 ingredients long. Correct. Um, but also just as one last thing in that area, like that doesn't mean that, if you go out to a coffee shop or you go somewhere and you order your drink and they make it on good old milk lab because that's what everyone's using which has let's face it 10 plus ingredients mm. you're not going to die it's okay but yeah. if every day you use for me it's almond milk like I'll use an almond milk that has well, I like to make my own almond milk to be honest but like other than that I'll buy an almond milk that's just made on almonds with a little Filter bit water. of water pinch of salt um, that's sort of it. It might have a bit of brown rice 
mixed in with it. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I like some that of them. Bruce. have got um, calcium um, phosphate in there as well. Yeah. The calcium fortified yeah. ones, which I recommend to a lot of my clients if they're worried about their calcium intake. Um, yeah. But there's definitely like yeah, definitely better quality ingredients list. Like I do try and say to a lot of my clients when I'm pulling them off dairy and if they really are attached to their coffees, um, <clears throat> I <clears throat> have no issues with a lot of these store-bought milks in moderation or smaller amounts, but I would prefer people to not be guzzling like Milk Lab and yeah. I feel like we're shaming Milk Lab, which we're not because it has <laughs> changed the barista world in terms it of – It has, hasn't it? It really has, like in terms of texture and all of that for something that's frothable without separation mm. for a coffee, and I completely respect that space as someone who's made coffees and tried to make coffee on, on watery nut milks. Yeah. Like Milk Lab has has really like kind of stepped the game up there, and since then I've noticed that Coles and Woolies and all that have all bought out their own barista blends, and yeah. you have a look at the coagulants and stuff, all the fats and gums that they're putting in there to make that happen. and. Look, in moderation, if you want to enjoy your coffee and that's the one thing you do, it's not the end of the world. It's not going to kill you. But just put it into the context of I just say to people, let's just have a look at your total toxic load across the day and things yeah. that maybe you are just in small amounts that you shouldn't be doing and just work out where you feel comfortable in that space. Yeah. Like if you love your milk lab coffee, go and go for it. Maybe I know. And even just <laughs> common ste- you know, stepping stones where people stress themselves out. Like I can think of a client of mine that – just it was either she was going to have a milk lab coffee every day or it was dairy like you know and it was just like I don't care like that dairy for you is so bloody inflammatory and turning Mm. your gut inside out she had like more of an IBD situation Mm. and I'm like just have the milk lab coffee like stop freaking out about it because (laughs) it is like you know on a scale for this person it's just like just have that like just Yeah, there's so much like fear, fear about this sort of perfectionism. Like I know I mentioned about making almond milk, but like I enjoy it. I enjoy the process and it's yeah. my thing. But do I expect a client to do that? Never. I think, I, you know, one out of every 50 might make their own milk and yeah. that's their choice. I would never, ever be like, you know, for you to get the best dairy-free alternative, you must make your nut milk. <laughs> you don't. Like, yeah, I think that's really important. And I think we did touch on this a couple of podcasts ago. I can't exactly remember what our topic was that we were talking about, but it is about this. There's just so much fear being created about things at the moment. And there's, and I can't remember if we talked about it in in this podcast um, or we were just talking about it offline, but you know, like just get your basics right and then fine tune, I think is the biggest thing. I think people are so caught up in the fine tuning space that they're missing the big picture. And the big picture is homeostasis for your body. Like what, what works for you as an individual, what makes you feel good every day and what makes you feel good digestively and keep your energy levels sufficient and your brain nice and clear, Mm -hmm. like work out what that is first and then fine tune and worry about all the little things like, are you making your own nut milk? What's in the milk lab? And yes, I'm not saying these things aren't important, but don't lose sleep over them if you haven't got the mm. bigger things right to start with. Like, yeah. yeah, I just feel like there's so much fear mongering about everything. Like, if you're going to do that, that's bad. If you're going to do that, that's bad. Yeah, like, exactly. People, take a fucking chill pill. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to our next. Um, and 
you know what? We when we we do this one, I just realised we will have to just do two today because um I forgot about the time difference and I've got about ten <gasps> minutes left. So oh, shit, <laughs> sorry, we should just stuck with dairy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just keep talking about the humble old moo cow. <laughs> well, this this kind of flows nicely because it's um the the iron area because there was quite a few questions about this and one of the questions about dairy was can you like is having dairy problematic in regard to iron absorption so it's a nice little segue mm. because um i thought you were holding up something there oh no i'm just like about. no just, just something random fanning myself <laughs> <laughs> so i think in regard to that question um i i imagine the main reason there is more going to be around minerals competing so minerals yeah can compete with each other for absorption. And it's one of the reasons when it comes to iron in particular, um, we're cautious about where you take iron as a supplement and also um, thinking about your food and when you have your food, particularly with your iron, if you're trying to get your iron up, what you're having in that meal, what you're drinking, um, which is all important factors that even when Chris and I were talking about this before we started, we're like, yeah, that's something we talk to clients about all the time, but we probably haven't talked about that on the mm. podcast. Yeah. So when you have uh, – with minerals, iron will definitely compete with zinc. It will compete with calcium. But it, as, as supplements, um, it's interesting because it depends on what they're bound to. So supplements. Supplement companies are pretty savvy mm. in if they do a mineral complex and it does have iron in there, they will bind it to things so that we don't get as much um, competition going on. But often if we're using iron and we're trying to absolutely maximize um, its intake and we're trying to take a little bit of a higher dose, we will make sure we take it away from other vitamins um, and, yeah. and mainly minerals. Mainly um, minerals. The other big one is uh, tannins, so yeah. tea and coffee. Tea, coffee, green so tea. <laughs> I think whether I think there might have been a question specifically, but um, there, as is is that a myth that you shouldn't be taking iron or, or eating iron rich foods with your coffees and your teas and so forth? And the answer is yes. Like particularly if you're deficient, deficient. like you don't want to be like having your breakfast with your iron tablet and then drinking it with your big mug of green tea. Like that's not ideal um, yeah. situation. Will it completely destroy its absorption? Like you're probably still going to get a little bit, but you're definitely lowering the amount. Mm. Um, so I have seen again, anecdotally, <laughs> yeah. I've seen a massive difference with um, changing the timing of when people take their iron supplements mm -hmm. um, or they're trying to obviously absorb iron. So um, if someone's taking their iron supplements in the morning, like let's just say they've gone to a GP, GP said you're low in iron, take, take, just grab some ferroground and take it, but there's no actually guidance around when to take that. And they come to me and they're like, I've been on this iron supplement for six months. My iron's not really improving. I think something's wrong with me or I think something's wrong with my gut or I might need an iron infusion. I'm like, cool, when are you taking your iron supplement? They're like, I'm taking it in the morning with my breakfast. I'm like, cool, what's your morning routine like? And they're like, oh, well, I get up and I go for a walk and I come back and I get a coffee on the way home. And, you know, and then I um, have my iron supplement and then I have breakfast. I'm like, cool, let's just put your iron supplement at night. What else, what other supplements do you take at night? And they're like, oh, I might take 
this or that or that and I just make sure there's nothing that I'm too stressed about like um mm-hmm. you know and just get it at night with food or after food or something like that and typically if the iron supplement is right for them it does work and there's obviously no other impeding factors so there is sometimes definitely just that subtle change which I think a lot of people don't know and maybe the calcium and iron question came because I have had a client I just thought of when you're saying that con- confused by they were told not to take their iron with their coffee but they thought it was because of the milk so that uh, might be yeah. where that question came from. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty, like, obviously there is calcium in milk, but that's not what I would be concerned about. I'd be concerned about the coffee. So take it away yeah. from your coffee. Not yeah. so, yeah. Anyway, I just thought of that as you were mm-hmm. saying it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, vitamin and C. Then, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, you go. Uh, I was just going <laughs> to say for anyone who is trying to really up, like maximize their iron supplement or like I've got people who take beef liver. I've got people that, you know, obviously are just trying to eat red meat a couple of times more a week just to increase their iron um, stores, which obviously Mm -hmm. we don't want to flog our bodies with red meat, but you know, Um, then vitamin C is amazing. Like vitamin C is something that doesn't compete um, as far as we know um, and actually helps the uptake of iron as well. So if I've got someone who's just taking like say an iron supplement, um, sometimes I'll just get them to have like a 250 milligram vitamin C with it if the iron supplement doesn't already contain C. Um, Mm -hmm. Same thing, like um, there's some really cool thing about the synergistic nature of certain foods like if you are having a steak i say to people try and load Mm. your salad up with vitamin c rich foods like Mm. and raw ones and put some lemon juice over the top of your salad and you can kind of do Mm. some really cool things just with that food as medicine just helping your iron Mm. you know there's just really cool things like that as well so that you can do just from a food point of view for sure for sure and then the other question in this area was around um do you have to be anemic to have iron deficiency symptoms I'm just checking the question. Yes, that was the question, (laughs) (laughs) which I love this question because we see this in the clinic a lot. So Mm. the answer is no. Like it blows my mind sometimes when I'll get blood tests back where someone is so anemic and they feel pretty good. Yeah, I'm like, how? (laughs) Someone else who's got like pretty average um, iron levels as far as storage, maybe some funky stuff going on with their transport of iron around their body, and they are bottomed out. They feel Mm. like shit. They've got those classic like just so fatigued, foggy head, just feel like they want to fall asleep everywhere. And it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting like and I think there's a lot of factors that come into that as far as you know just again bioindividuality and and how people deal with poor energy or low energy and how people are really good at maybe pushing themselves and where their cortisol levels are like there's just so many other factors but That's what I was gonna I've, say. Yeah. don't know how many times I've I've seen um people who have really poor iron status not be I, I'll, I'll literally say to them i don't know how you're actually walking around oh here. mate this I've is had, yeah. crazy i've had clients come back and their ferritin is five and <laughs> yeah. they feel fine whereas i've got cl- other clients who ferritin for anyone listening ferritin are your iron stores and their ferritin's 24 and yes they're still considered anemic depending on what path references where little path lab reference range your blood mm-hmm. tests sit in so yes most people under 30 for ferritin i would say are in the anemic area mm-hmm. um but like i've had people come back at 25 and they're just so flat it's ridiculous and yeah. they know they're low in iron and you get someone who's got ferritin's fine and they're like, i feel pretty good most days and i'm like <laughs> how much better could you feel then exactly. <laughs> that's my first question i'm like <laughs> bloody hell <laughs> 
But I think, yeah, that's that whole bioindividuality thing. Like, you know, some people when they're low in iron, the systemic effects of that are catastrophic. Like, and mm. that's where a lot of genetic factors, environmental factors, what else are you low in? Like, what's your cortisol doing? What's your B12 doing? How much does this mm. impact your thyroid? How much mm. does this impact your, you know, your immune system's ability to function appropriately? So, so yeah, iron's, iron's so important beyond energy, but the symptoms mm. really vary from person to person. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. And I think, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things, isn't it? Because probably this person asking, you know, I imagine is like, you know, they've probably been skirting maybe on the lower end. And sometimes with that, people are just like, I just, you know, mm. I just feel so crap. But, but my doctor's telling me, well, you're not anemic. So you yeah. don't really need whether it's an infusion or you don't need a script for this or you don't need that. And it's just like, yeah, but I feel horrible. And as you just pointed out, it's beyond just the energy it's like for you as an individual what does that mean systemically what else is being Mm. affected yeah so and yeah it's a good question and I think also just defining anemia as well is really important because I think there is a lot of confusion in that space and yes again just going back to different path references will define anemia in air quotes differently but for us in the preventative health space like I and I know we said this on other podcasts but if you're new to listening to us here you go um, (laughs) is obviously we don't like to see our ferritin for women particularly because obviously women are menstruating so we do have that blood loss happening every sort of month we don't like to see ferritin drop below 40 to 50 for women like I think I really kind of that's where my off is before I might we either need to get you on a supplement or really start looking at how we can you know up regulate iron in your food iron rich foods and things like that um whether they're from heme or non-heme sources but um but optimal we're like I like we've got to start getting out of this spot of um you know when we're treating clients and looking at our own pathology results like what is what is average and what is optimal and what is um what is you know borderline deficient um or semi-okay by pathology and GP standards versus what is optimal. And I really love, and I know you do, we all do, that's why we're in the the preventative medicine space, but we we want you to be in your optimal ranges. Mm. And so Mm. optimal ranges for ferritin for, you know, a female and I think males are around about the same, but we want to see you at least above 80. So Mm -hmm. for everything so if you take a knock you've got still got some good reserves there yeah for sure particularly in the which is a whole another story again in that sort of for women in that sort of fertility preconception Mm. phase um and then we'll also look at the iron studies completely like it's your ferritin as chris has just said so vital but we're also going to look at what those little buses little transporters are Mm. doing um because that can tell us a lot too about how well you're mobilizing and carrying iron around and a little bit more about how your body might be reacting to iron as far as low or high levels um and then just one last thing would be what is your iron history look like? So what is it now? But we like to look at what's your ferritin storage look like for you over time if we can get that data because each person's going to be a little bit different. So yeah, yeah it's um, I love this question. It's a really good one. Yeah, and also what's your what's your genetic history? Like yeah. if you have I think I know sorry Jess, you've got to go <laughs> I will shut up after this. But if you if the women in your family naturally sit on the lower side, like if you mm. know your mum and your sister and your aunt Bethy and <laughs> grandma Gertrude have all been iron deficient or anemic and you've never had your levels checked, pay attention because there yeah. is a chance and where the more we understand about like 
gut, gut effects of iron absorption, genetic um, predisposition and all of that, like everyone does deal with iron quite differently. So understanding your genetic predisposition to and to anemia um, is really important as well. So Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, we're going to wrap it up there today, guys, because um, we just are. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <But> we're done. <laughs> we have, uh, <laughs> we've got a, a, quite a few more that we'll be bringing to you in this space. So thanks for sending all your questions through. But we will be putting up some more little Q&A boxes. But, uh, yeah, if you've got any feedback about this in particular or you'd like to share this episode, we love seeing that. Please do on your socials. Um, and other than that, I think... That is it. We're going to sign on off. Sign on off. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for Have listening. Have a super weekend. Super and we'll weekend. chat to you again soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.